Welcome to Rethinking Education. Education's critical friend. Hello, listeners, and welcome to episode four of the Rethinking Education Campfire Conversations. In the last episode, we were joined by nine young people, three from the UK and six from the Dominican Republic. This was an unbelievably powerful conversation, and we realised immediately that we can't really go back to just having one young person on each call. In fact, we really need to throw the net even wider and bring more and more people into the conversation. And so that's what we're going to do. We need to hear from many more young people so that we can get a much richer, fuller picture of the diverse range of experiences and views that young people have about schools and what we might do differently in order to better prepare them for this big wide world of ours. Two of our previous guests, Aaliyah York and Lottie Cook, have been from an organisation called Pupil Power, a UK-based community of young people who are working together and with others to rethink and reform education from the ground up, as it were. In this episode, I'm delighted to announce that we are joined by three more young people from Pupil Power, Sephora, aged 18, Yumna, 16, and Zoya, who is in year 10. This is another powerful, fascinating conversation in which we discuss, among many other things, why education can't simply be reformed, how children are treated as economic commodities, their words, not mine, and in which we pose the question, what if schools nurtured young imaginations? And we're live on Facebook once again. Welcome uh, back to any regular viewers. Welcome uh, to everybody on the screen and especially to our three special guests today, Sephora, Yumna and Zoya, who um, are associated with Pupil Power. Um, so thank you very much. Welcome uh, to the Rethinking Education Campfire Conversations, which are um, conversations with people who want to rethink and reform and reshape, rebuild use whatever metaphor you like, education, or maybe more specifically schooling, um, so that we can see whether we might be able to bring about a more harmonious, less hair-raising state of world affairs, because, you know, it's quite fruity out there, as you may have noticed if you've ever seen the news. So um, let's start by whizzing around the screen. Um, we'll start with, with you, um, Sephora, Yumna and, and Zoya. Um, if you could just say um, your name and where in the world you are and why it is that you wanted to join this conversation. So let's go Sephora first. Okay. Hey guys, my name is Sephora or Sephora Zola. Um, I'm 18 years old. And the reason why I wanted to join this conversation was because I um, have a passion for just speaking and speaking on issues that affect me or um, issues on which I can interact with other people and just get to hear other opinions. Um, I think what you guys are really doing here is really, really amazing. So I'm really excited to get involved and just kind of... Um, just have a conversation with you guys so yeah I'm just intrigued with all types of kind of conversations and I run a motivational page called Bigger Than Yourself separately from Pupil Power um, which I enjoy doing so yeah I'm excited to be here. What's Bigger Than Yourself about? Um, bigger Than Yourself is literally 
motivational page that me and friend run on Instagram, where we just like post videos of ourselves and the videos kind of relate to just um, global issues, uh, social issues such as like education. So we want to do something joint with people eventually. Um, but yeah, it's based on like education. We touch on racism. We touch on just like um, issues that kind of impact us and um, issues that we feel as though should have more awareness and raise more awareness about that. Yeah. All right. Great. Okay. Thank you. I will put a link to that in the uh, in the notes beneath the video. Thank you, uh, Zoya. So I'm Zoya, and I am in West London, like West London. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I the same thing for me. I'm like really active in the community. I just tend to. I'm a massive fan of like public speaking and of volunteering. So I do that quite often, and I came across this through People Power as well, and I was interested because you know why not <laughs> yeah exactly that's a perfect answer why not indeed um and as pe people may have noticed Zoya's video isn't working but uh, she can join us by audio which is wonderful and uh Yumna hi everyone I'm Yumna I'm 16 years old I'm from Birmingham I've just finished my GCSE so finished year 11 and I'm heavily involved in a lot of youth activism um being part of like local and national youth boards um and i wanted to join this call today because i'm extremely passionate about like transforming our education system i recently did a tedx talk um on reimagining education um so that we can create a bigger impact in the world um and i was thinking about the ways that we can translate you know our, the conversations that we've been having um into reality um how can we get an inclusive democratic um education system that actually works for young people and for educators as well. Um, and I'm really excited to be on the call today. Amazing. You did a TEDx talk. Yes, um, it's on YouTube. <laughs> Fantastic. OK, well, if you're happy to, we'll link to that in the notes beneath yeah. as well. Thank you very much. And just out of interest, have you finished? Have you left? Have you finished school? You're not going in now that your assessments are done? Um, no, I'm still going to back to school for like two more weeks, I think. Um, but oh. yeah. Right. OK, because did you see there was like a, a news story this week where Amanda Spielman, who's the head of Ofsted, said that it's outrageous that all these year 11s who have finished all their assessments are not going to school anymore, no. which they wouldn't be in a normal year. The year 11s would have left by May half term, but she seems to think that they should be going right up until the end of July, as far as I can tell. I don't know if you've got any any thoughts on that. Yeah, so my school decided my school's part of an academy trust is one of the largest um, academy trusts. But they've decided that we're going back to school until the 25th of June, I think it is. Um, and we're doing like different activities, a lot of physical education, a lot of different things that we wouldn't have done. So they're bringing in like business leaders, workshop sessions, um, sort of interesting things that we wouldn't do um, in the mainstream like education curriculum. Um, yeah. So I, you know, I don't mind going back to school, but I just feel like it's, think there should have been a more focus on well-being and the health of young people throughout the whole of the pandemic rather than just now when we're leaving school yeah that would be nice wouldn't it so they, they do all this cool stuff like after, oh. the, after the assessments you know, it's like what education should really be like maybe um but only only it's like a little jolly at the end but still it sounds like yeah. it's a great thing I'm starting to come around to Amanda Spielman's position on this if schools are doing stuff like that with their year 11s rather than just you know let's let's do some more geography kids like you know but we've finished the assessments then um you know nothing against geography I could have said any, any subject there 
Um, yeah, thank you. Okay, so let's now uh, have a quick introduction from each of our regular guests. Uh, Natalie. Hi, yeah, um, I'm Natalie. Um, I was a teacher for over 20 years, um, between 88 and 2011. Um, I left to do something completely different and did a Master's in Sustainable Development, um, which ironically brought me back into education from a social sustainability perspective. Um, and all the frustrations that I felt whilst I was teaching kind of came out through this. And as a result of the research I did for that master's, it led me into a doctorate, which I'm now currently doing. Um, I'm based in Stroud um, and universities in Bristol. Um, and I'm passionate about lots of things, particularly United Nations Convention for the Rights of the Child and Article 12, um, which involves empowering young people um, that they should be included in any decision-making processes that impact on them. Um, yeah, I'll stop there because otherwise I'll go on. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, so this is not a radical idea. This is actually written into some sort of legal framework, isn't it? The, the UNHRC. Good idea to talk to young people from time to time or maybe even all the time. Um, indeed, Kath. Hi, um, great to be here, an honour as ever. Um, uh, I'm Kath, I am uh, in the process of reimagining education um, still for, well I have been doing it for about 20 years, but I'm founder at a kind of a social enterprise um, sort of learning community ecosystem, I guess, down in Cornwall. Um, where we're reimagining education as much more of a kind of connected whole community, uh, blowing open the boxes of work, family life and schooling um, and building something really pretty cool, I hope. <laughs> mm. Surely. So it's great to be here. And all of these ideas just are so vital. And um, yeah, it's exciting. Great. Thank you. And Kate. I'm Kate McAllister. I've been a teacher for oh, about 20 years. I've um, been working with James for 10 Rethinking Education together. And last year, I decided I kind of needed to put my money where my mouth was. So I've opened an alternative to school and it's here in the DR because that's where I was trapped during the pandemic. And it turns out it's a lovely place to open an alternative to school. And it's, yeah, it's amazing working with the young people, building it with them, not for them. So consulting them on every step of the journey, what should be on the curriculum, what should be on the lunch menu, um, how should we structure our day, pretty much every part of what affects them, um, they are included in the decision-making process for. So yeah, it's, it's really interesting and something that's working out incredibly well. There is so much more responsible than I think lots of people give youngsters credit for. So I'm very glad to have um, three new youngsters to speak to today. And Yumna, if you've got any interest in being a teacher in a few years, um, come over to DR. I think that um, you'd fit perfectly in at the Hive. Sorry. Don't worry, I'll come over. <laughs> Where did you say you were specifically? Dominican Republic. Wow, that is so cool. Yeah, yeah. So, Kate, Kate, do you want to just say a little bit about how you came to be there and what 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 led you to this point? 
So I've been the same as everybody else here, reimagining education for a really, really, really long time and had a few goes at, at, at building models for education for groups of people who are kind of stuck outside of the mainstream. So did some work with uh, refugees and migrants who had just arrived in host countries, um, working with, um, yeah, lots, lots of different communities who were kind of stuck next to each other, but not, not working well, not gelling. And when I put all of those things together with the education model that James and I built, I thought, well, this, is, this could work. We could do a whole education model like this. So I set off around the world to meet other people who were doing alternative education so that I could talk to them and find out who they were and who the people were that went to these schools. And I, I found, found out all about the world schooling movement, all of these people, families who travel together and they work and live and school and educate all together in the way that Kath was describing, but they also travel. Um, and my idea was to just research it, to interview them, to learn, and then the pandemic came and we needed a model. We needed something to do to keep our children entertained and educated. And we wanted to do something. So the hive slowly grew from five families and 11 children. And now we have families flying in from all over the world. We've got 40 children um, and it's growing. So it's growing into a whole learning community. Kind of exciting, hard work, but very exciting. Um, yeah, it's very cool. We did a recent episode of the podcast where I interviewed Kate and Kath and two other women who set up uh, alternative schools recently, three of which were set up during the pandemic, which is even mm -hmm. more remarkable. Um, so, um, yeah, there's some fascinating stuff there. So so let's um, let's get started. We, we, we started these conversations. This is the fourth episode. Um, and the first couple of episodes, we had like one young person uh, included in the conversation. And then in the last one, there was it was like nearly all young people. We had um, three from the UK and six young people from the from the Dominican Republic. Um, wow. And uh, and it was just such a powerful episode. Like so many people sort of commented on it and I found it very powerful. And I, I was just like, OK, we can't go back <laughs> to just having like one young person on each call. We really need to bring more and more young people in and to to, you know, just to hear as many different stories as we possibly can. Um, so that we can find out more because at the moment but we, we don't know enough about what's going on really and what young people's lived experience of school is to be able to have like a really informed discussion about what we should do more of or less of you know we just we haven't got the picture yet there's lots of teachers talking to other teachers about stuff and mm. not, not so much including young people in the conversation so um so i'd be really interested to maybe a good starting point would be to just talk about like why it is that you became involved in pupil power um and you know what you've been up to since then so i don't mind who, who goes first yeah i don't mind you now if you want to go first yeah you can go first oh okay then um well uh where did it all start? Why did I join Pupil Power? Okay, um, so I have lived in East London my whole life, which is um, specifically Newham, one of like the most deprived boroughs in London. And um, like my experience within education, I'm going to try and keep it brief because I can waffle forever. Um, yeah, my experience within education has always been 
um, quite good in terms of um, kind of like academically. I've always, everything's been, you know, fine. But in terms of um, opportunities and um, kind of what, what, what's been lacking, like within certain schools, I was kind of oblivious to that throughout secondary until um, year 11, until um, it got to a point where, um, we had kind of finished our GCSEs and we were kind of out of education at that point. By the way, guys, I'm currently in A level, um, finished my A levels. Um, I'm in year 13, or I was in year 13, just for some background. Um, I finally am out of education. So, yeah, I'm happy about that. But back to kind of year 11 GCSEs, um, I, was, I was really close to my one of my best friends, is Aliyah, founder of People Power. And we've always kind of been passionate, like from year eight. Just this is so random, but I think I just have to let you guys know, anyways. But from year eight, at such a young age, me and Aaliyah had always been having like passionate um intellectual conversations about injustices and kind of passionate, like interesting conversations just around the world and within like education as a whole. Um, so we'd always have conversations on this. And then it got to a point where fast forward to year 11, we finished our GCSEs, and Aaliyah had kind of mentioned that she had attended um was it the House of Parliament, Westminster, I think, or was it House of Parliament, one of those, um, she attended this kind of, um, this forum at Westminster, I think, and they kind of touched on um, issues that happened within the education system, such as like low funding and government cuts. And I, I always knew that there was a problem. We always knew that, you know, ceilings were kind of falling in schools or there weren't enough textbooks within our community or um there were always issues like that but we never kind of had a name for it so when Aaliyah went to that meeting it kind of sparked something it kind of provided us with the terminology that okay this is what's happened um there has been government um government cuts um within kind of Newham specifically or like deprived boroughs and when that like when we both kind of when she found that out and she told me it sparked something within us and we had like a very like passionate conversation obviously she went and founded people power I then kind of um joined and got involved so much as I could um and like also purely based on like finding out about kind of the injustices I also created my motivational page and from that I've kind of just been heavily involved in activism kind of um kind of unsettled by kind of the injustices like I don't feel comfortable living kind of um or going to school or going to being in education and not being able to do anything about it um so yeah without rambling on that is kind of where it all started and what yeah how it kind of sparked great thank you um and how about you should we go to Zoya next I have a very similar background to Sephora to be fair um <laughs> the thing is that I am not from the like the UK I'm from Pakistan and I was like raised there for 10 years and when I came to the UK I was like introduced to another whole culture and um I think I was it was when I was trying to adapt myself that was questioning a lot of the scenarios would you say I was say because I had noticed the pressures people were being given from a very young age from primary so then I decided then I was like questioning everything that is this right and then when I go to year seven with the help of some supportive teachers I was able to get myself involved into so many things but then I realized that the same community there were those who were not getting the support from the teachers so I noticed this unfair balance within the students and that's what started my motivation to kind of make a change and to influence 
the thinking of others in a positive light because right now people are being unjustly treated just based on their appearance or based on their grades and I think that's so ridiculous. Yeah, thank you, thank you. We'll, I think we'll probably come back to that later on because that's such an important uh, point. Um, and Yumna, how about you? Yeah, so I've been involved with a lot of activist work um, since I was young, um, since I was like 12, 13, I was writing articles about, um, you know, injustices in the education system and what I saw. And it all boiled down to the fact that there are so many gaps within our traditional mainstream education system that it can't be, it can't simply be reformed again. It has to be thought of in a more imaginative and more radical way. And so teachers and like students need to be working together to um, achieve this. Um, and there's like the pandemic has highlighted so many flaws in the education system already. Um, like, for example, teachers unions not being listened to, students are not being listened to. I feel like in a pandemic, we asked them to have an elected youth minister um, with the government so many times. And we just they kept sidelining um, young people. And I was on a consultation a few, you know, a few months back with the prime minister's representatives about, you know, young people, education and how they cope with COVID. Um, and when I, you know, was, you know, expressing my thoughts on how I feel like young people have been ignored um, and, you know, being basically treated as economic commodities, basically. Um, and it's all sort of like a business transaction. There's no consultation with young people. It's all about, OK, where we're talking, we're talking about young people without actually talking to them and not. And even when we're trying to talk to them, we're not actually listening to what they're saying. We're listening to respond and not listening to actually, you know, create a change with them. And so I feel like the current education system just prioritizes, you know, standardization, conforming um, over creativity and imagination. Um, and it's not just dangerous for students. It's also dangerous for educators as well. For teachers who want to, you know, teach what teach outside the curriculum, but they feel like they're bounded um, and they're, all, they're also measured basically on the, their ability to meet the targets that are set by the government or set or meet the targets that are set by external providers. Um, and so I feel like students and teachers themselves are forced down this pathway. And then we only perceive ourselves based on what society's expectations of what schooling and what education should be, um, where arts have been you know, pushed to a side um, there's a rapid decline in opportunities for young people, um, a rapid decline in the effective collaboration that can take place, and young people are not being developed as whole individual confident beings who can actually make a difference to the world. Um, and so that was basically my main motivation for any activist work that I'm doing or um, anything that I'm like, you know, public speaking on education system. Um, and that's essentially why I joined People Power. Wow. Yeah, I think we did a little round of applause there. That was a barnstorming, uh, barnstorming opening statement. My goodness. Were you gonna, do you want to come in there, Kate? No, it's just like, awesome. I can retire now. I can just quit. <laughs> Yumna can take over. She's got it. She's more articulate than I will ever be. And I can just take a rest Sweet. on a beach now because yeah. the world's in good hands. <laughs> That's exactly how I feel. Um, mm. And I didn't have my voice when I was 16. I didn't know how to say that out loud. I've only found it in maybe the last four or five years, really truly found my voice and would be brave enough to say everything that you just said out loud. Yeah. So by the time you're as old as me, my goodness. Um, <laughs> That's exactly the same for me, Kate. It's, uh, 
in fact, I was talking to Yumna before and we were, I was saying, you know, it's, I feel like, and I've mentioned this in this group, I just feel like you've been in a box, soundproof box that and you're screaming away and no one can hear you because no one wants to hear you or can hear you. And now, certainly for me, the pandemic just seems to have completely transformed that. And, and finally, there's other people screaming about the same thing. So it's, yeah, yeah. Finding your voice is great. But all of you young people, young Nassifor and Sawyer, you've got your voice now at your age. That is magical. <laughs> yeah, yeah, incredible. And and the, the point that you made there about, I think Aaliyah made a similar point last week about reform, like the language of reform is not strong enough because reform just sounds mm -hmm. like sort of like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic sort of thing. It's like tinkering at the edges, but actually you, you're talking about quite radical fundamental change by young people. And like you were talking about this like consultation exercise where we're like, oh, we'll listen to young people. We'll set up a, like a youth council, but we'll just mm -hmm. basically ignore them or let them organize the bake sale. And that not, not really, you know, it's not like young people are at the heart. And it's not like young people, need to be at the heart of, of decision-making. Lottie, Lottie Cook made a really interesting point in a previous episode where she talked about how sometimes older generations speak to younger generations and they're like, we've messed this whole thing up. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's over to you sort of thing. And she, she used this word exploitation. Mm. And it really made me think so that is really exploitative. Like we're gonna like, like hey, say we're gonna kick back and like, you know, it's all, it's all in safe hands. Young people need to be in the conversation, but we're all in this together to, to use that phrase, so beloved of the Tories um, a few years ago. We, we are all in this together and we need to work in a, in a collaborative way. And that's something that I'd really quite like to, to get my head around is like, how can, what, what would that look like? How can we as adults, as ed educators in the mainstream, in the alternative sector, parents as well, parents is a, another hugely overlooked group of people and young people, how can we work together? What would that actually look like to, to bring about change? I don't, I mean, that's a big question. Yeah, I think before um, I touch on that question, what Yumna said about the pressure, I think um, by the pressure, I mean, in terms of like education as a whole, um, she spoke about us being kind of economic commodities and how we're kind of used system where everyone's trying to reach a certain target and meet a certain goal and I feel like I definitely agree with that point first and foremost I feel like everyone feels that pressure it's not just students that feel that or um, students that feel voiceless I feel like sometimes teachers can be in that position because sometimes it's like students expect them to change this and change that but sometimes it's not even the teachers controlling it it's the government or the um uh, the academies or the people kind of higher up and I wanted to mention that because I feel like we need to kind of um almost kind of um, reach out and speak out to the people at the top to kind of break it down from there. Because a lot of teachers and a lot of students do feel helpless and it's like, oh, it's out of their control. But I think that's why young people need to kind of start connecting with the people that are higher up and um, the people that have kind of are in higher positions to kind of communicate and kind of communicate and find a way to bridge that gap between young people and um, put people in positions of power to kind of make certain changes. Um, and also I did want to add in terms of kind of making a change and improving kind of um, young people's experiences within education, I think we need to start start to shine a light on how amazing opportunities can be. And by opportunities, I mean, 
opportunities within the arts and opportunities within kind of different aspects of life. Because for me personally, throughout school, I think the best part of my education as a whole has been um, the extracurricular activities. I know that that's kind of random because like, we go to school to learn, but the best part of my education was um, being involved in performing arts, in musicals, in sports and all that type of stuff. I feel like those really had a, bin- a big impact on who I've become today. It's allowed me to kind of speak out the way I do right now. And all of these um, factors and qualities are so important to me. But yeah, I think in order to change that, it means kind of bridging that gap between the people in power and young people overall. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Have you got any any thoughts on what we've been talking about so far, Zoya? Yeah, because these young people are so good at everything. So um, yeah, I literally just agree with everything. and. Sephora especially, and also, you know, you just take the words out of my mouth <laughs> at this point, I'm jealous. Yes, yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of places that we could take this, this conversation. Um, and, but I'd quite like to just, rather, rather than sort of steering it by asking questions, I'm quite, I'm quite like up for the idea of you just sort of taking it where you, where you want to go. Um, is there anything that you would like to to talk about that you that what 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 do you think is like top of the agenda of things that you would like to to see happen either to see more of or less of? Yeah, I wanted to talk about like um, how I feel like in the education system, there's so many different you know aspects. There's you know parents, there's educators, there's young people, but the change can't happen like as a top down approach or just as a bottom up approach. It has to go both ways. Young people need to be talking to the to older generations, but older generations need to be talking to young people and vice versa. And people at the top of like the power chain, the, you know, government officials, local government, national government, it needs to be a multi-directional and interpersonal approach. Um, it can it needs to happen at all different levels simultaneously, rather than just young people trying to talk to, you know, government officials and trying to lobby for education change but it's not going to happen if we don't have the you know the views of the parents or you know views of educators it needs to all happen at the same time and I also wanted to bring up the fact that I feel like sometimes it can be just like as a TikTok exercise where okay you've talked to a young person check you've ticked it off the list Mm. um and there's nothing there's no follow-up there's nothing there's 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 no there's no process after that um, I felt like that when I was talking, when I, um, I mentioned it before about the Black Lives Matter, when I, you know, sent an email to my, I think it was the CEO of the Education Trust, um, like loads of the people at the top of like the Academy Trust that um, I'm a student at. Um, and they basically said, um, we, we, we hear your concerns, we take it. But like right now, there's not that much that we can do. And I felt like it was more of, okay, we've read it and we don't really care about it. And every time I kept asking for a follow-up, it was like, okay, yeah, we're trying to do that. Check out our diversity um, policy that we have. But it's like, no, diversity is not enough. Um, There needs to be inclusivity. Like, diversification in the education system is not enough. We need to be decolonizing the education system. And it actually depends on the school that that you're from. I feel like there's some schools that have, there's no diversity in the schooling system. So obviously, they need to be looking at ways to introduce that into the curriculum. And other schools have a lot of diversity, but actually the senior levels um, in the schools are, you know, they they don't take into account what the teachers have been saying and what the students have been saying. So I feel like um, 
the schooling system doesn't actually accommodate for students or staff actually um, their own like shifting and complex identities it starts from you you know if you've not done the social if you've not you know educated yourself about issues and if you're not actually trying to implement them in your own life then you can't expect the people around you to be doing the same thing so it starts with you and then impacting the people closest to you and then talking to other other people in the same sphere that you are but also trying to ensure that you're educating yourself constantly and being conscious about the language that you use um, and talking to other people about their own experiences seeing how it relates to yours but how it's also different and that was amazing literally everything you said I completely agree with I think um, also just what you mentioned about um, taking it upon yourself to learn certain terms, terminologies and just being kind of politically correct within yourself. But I also feel like this is the reason why we do need to decolonize the curriculum in itself because I also say, I, I also kind of um, am very aware that many people are ignorant in this world. Many people aren't exposed to certain cultures and certain things. And that's why a lot of um, the time we need to decolonize what people learn so within the education system what students are kind of taking in and learning has to be kind of has to look like what people look like today I don't know if that's making sense guys but what I'm basically trying to say is that the education system in itself needs to be kind of decolonized and changed to kind of reflect how people um act today what people look like today and kind of to represent what people experience today and by that I feel like that would that's the only way that a lot of people can learn certain things and kind of understand certain things because they're not exposed to it in their everyday life some people come from different walks of life and they're just exposed to their specific kind of like let's say they live in a specific area it might not be as cosmopolitan or diverse it might not be as multicultural so they won't really understand certain things so therefore I do believe that it has to change within from the people higher up um they need to start making kind of active um take active steps to kind of find these young people that look different, that act different, that talk different and start to kind of bridge that gap between the people that are in positions of power and young people that are passionate about these things to make changes within the education system, the syllabuses and what we're learning about. Um, yeah, to make changes from there so people can actually learn about it. Yeah, thank you. So so, so could we just to get into this a bit more deeply, Yomna, you said that, that like diversification is not enough that we need decolonization. Can you explain what you mean by those two terms, just to make sure that we're clear about what you're talking about? Yeah, so diversification is basically, it's basically trying to diversify the syllabus or the literature that you're reading, try to get more you know, books from um, authors of colour, whereas decolonization is far deeper. It's more of trying to change the mindsets and, and change this, the, the stereotypes that people have of, you know, of certain communities. And it's trying to change the language that you change, trying to change the language that you that we use, and um, focusing on you know the, the the deeper things like the deeper injustices that have been happening for a really long time, mm. um, and trying to dismantle them and restructure the power and the privilege really in within the school, but also that's been going like the restructure the power and the privilege that's in you know that exists in the world basically. I see. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's interesting. So, so it's, I can see how it's a much deeper agenda than just like yeah, like making the curriculum less sort of Eurocentric and like including more authors of color. You're saying yeah. that this is about changing the mindset and and about educating people, not just yeah, not just to have more diversification in what you're reading about and what you're studying, 
but addressing you're talking about social justice essentially aren't you and addressing um like structural inequality is that is that correct yeah so talking about how we can develop critical consciousness basically within staff and also within students and i feel like the education system doesn't actually accommodate for that either the developing you know critical thinking um and because it's basically it's essential if we want to develop young people who are articulate who are who know about you know the issues that are going on in the world and actually be able to solve them they need to have a deeper awareness of the social structures the practices the policies that result in all the different systems of oppression um of exclusion of marginalization in order to enact um social justice and the curriculum doesn't facilitate those sorts of conversations it's more performative it's not as active and so we need to take a more multidisciplinary approach to learning um so that we are more equipped to basically tackle issues in a structural way looking at things from a different angle um and that can only be achieved if you actually appreciate you know where students own like identities come from um so yeah yeah so what did you, you said something a second ago i didn't quite catch it you said it's performative and not did you say adaptive it's not it's not as active it's not as active i see right okay so it's like a proactive thing that you're talking about mm. yeah yeah this is powerful stuff and and like i mean this is this is um you know obviously this is a conversation that society is having with itself at the moment following uh, the murder of george floyd and and blm and um you know like decolonizing the curriculum at the moment i'm working with um a group of schools in in america who is a librarian actually who was saying that like the dewey decimal system the way that the way that <laughs> books are categorized in um in libraries is a really really good example of of um how white um, privilege is sort of maintained and how a eurocentric view of the world is maintained and this librarian was looking at these books that they're giving to fourth grade kids and it's just like this total like nonsense stories about christopher columbus and, and so on and so that they're, they're going through a process of decolonizing the curriculum but this is fiercely contested isn't it and and they're, they're playing quite a delicate political game because there are people who strongly oppose that that move and so it's not like um this is going to be an easy road to to walk is it like people people feel very strongly on 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 both sides um and it's it, it's one of those issues that generates a lot of a lot of heat um i don't know if you if you've encountered much of that have you have you come across much sort of resistance to this when as you've been talking about this with people so for me personally i feel like diversification of curriculum or of you know schooling is much easier to achieve but it doesn't always result in a you know anti-racist educational space it's decolonizing the education system is where is is not going to take is literally it's it's a lifelong process and it's an aspirational process that um has to be part of the wider anti-racist work that's taking place it can't just be one section of it it has to take into account all the different aspects of the education system um for it to you know actually be achieved mm so so can you like you know before we came on air you were talking about examples of this about how about how social justice issues are not reflected or how they're even sort of actively suppressed within the way that we educate young people um you were talking about examples of like people like young people speaking out about palestine um would you, would you do you want to expand on that yeah of course so like my main thing is when i always talk to people i always say 
that without understanding of how, you know, social inequities work together to create, you know, the unjust structures, under structures, education is, has been and will continue to be the site for production and reproduction of social injustices. And it can be applied to the recent example with what's been happening with Palestine. A lot of students and actually, you know, staff have been, you know, sending emails to their, you know, senior leaders and being and saying, um, you know, just sh- showing signs of solidarity, whether that's a badge that they're wearing, whether they're trying to organise a protest in their school, whether they're handing out leaflets or whether they're handing out flyers. Um, instead of stu- schools and um, praising students, basically, and encouraging them to for taking an active interest in, you know, issues that are going on in the world and for actually, you know, being empathetic towards it and actually trying to make a change. Um, they're actively preventing them from developing from developing ourselves politically. Um, and I feel like when you suppress that at a young age, young, you know, these issues will still exist after I leave school. I am not going to, you know, I'm not going to wait until the future to make change because when I leave school at 18, they're still going to exist. Like they don't disappear. So it's not, it's not a case of let's just suppress it in an educational setting. It actually affects students outside of the education system. When I leave school, I talk about these issues. But when yeah. I'm in school, it's much harder to. Um, and that's why I think feel like it's important to have teachers who, who, who try and go beyond the curriculum as, as much as they can. Because I feel like it is hard, you know, being in a normal mainstream public school. Can't expect teachers to go outside, like, talk about issues that are going on in the world. If, you know, if they can't, it's not, it's not within their, you know, it's not within the curriculum. It's not, um, it's not something they can do without thinking of the repercussions of that. And so, you know, Kate's having this school where she can, you know, children self-direct their learning. That is, that's amazing. If I could self-direct my own learning, I would be teaching myself about, you know, financial education, political literacy, things that, you know, that we aren't taught in schools, but there's still things that we're going to come across basically in our lifetime. And, Political education is one of the biggest things. Um, me and Natalie were talking earlier and she said, you know, politics plays a big role in education, how we, how we you know, reimagine education. Um, and she was talking about, you know, in her time, how, you know, Margaret Thatcher came in, in power and how education reform was put in place, but it hasn't, education hasn't been as developed as it can be. Um, and instead, when you think about it, not much has really changed um, since then. Apart from now, there's much more, People have much more agency um, and they are actively thinking of actions that they can take place rather than just being complacent and not really speaking out because, you know, because of repercussions. And that's actually still happening now. But there's much more of awareness. Wow. Yumna is honestly amazing, guys. It's actually scaring me. And she's only 16. That is crazy. Um, Wow. I just wanted to also add before it like flies out of my head that everything you said about kind of us not wanting to have a political stance as young people is a very real thing. Like within, like when you go to school, they don't expect you to kind of have that wider, it's almost like when you go to school, they teach you kind of a specific syllabus and they teach you specific things and they don't kind of want you to kind of develop your, um, obviously this is a big generalization and I'm not speaking as like specific 
schools and stuff, but they kind of don't want you to have that political stance and to have your own political opinion. And even um, just in terms of what's been going on with Palestine and recent events, I feel like it's actually crazy to me that in primary school, at the age of nine years old in year four, we had an assembly on what was happening in is um between Israel and Palestine. And kind of fast forward, and I'm a full on full on adult now, and I'm an adult in and I was in year 13, and we are still speaking about the same thing, and nothing has changed. And just within that itself, obviously, it's a it is a um kind of a, a major issue that is going to take a lot of time to kind of fix and resolve. But just within schools and like what we've been learning about, I've kind of realized like why haven't we touched on this within school? Like why haven't we learned about it and developed our knowledge on these issues? And even what um, has happened between Israel and Palestine, I used to do history and it is as a, as a result of what's kind of happened in history. And it's it all kind of links to history. So why aren't we kind of learning about this within our history lessons? Why isn't it embedded into our education? Um, and yeah, it's also kind of just almost just pushed to the side when it's kind of really it is really, really important. And it's what what's happening like right now. Um, and just even in general, like within schools, when I was in secondary school, speaking on issues such as Black Lives Matter, that affects me as a um, young black individual and things that were personal to me was always kind of feared. And, um, you know, it's, we, you know, we want to hush hush about it. But these are such important things that young people face. So why can't we find a way to kind of merge it into the curriculum? Um, certain things like financial literacy and everything that you were speaking about. It was getting me riled up. So I'm just like, these are the things that we should be studying right now. Like, why is it such a taboo to implement this into our education system? And what we young people want to learn more about this. We want to understand each other more. And I think understanding is such a big thing. Um, I'm diverting, but I live in East London where it's everyone is different, everyone's diverse. And I've learned so many things from different people's cultures, and I've learned so much from, and I feel like it's honestly built me. To, the, um, to become the person that I've become purely based off of my experience and where I've been situated and where I've grown up, like, um, um, environmentally. But other people that maybe come from completely different walks of life in completely different areas may not have this exposure. And I honestly find it very quite, like, it's quite sad that other people aren't exposed to certain issues and things that are so important to other individuals in the world purely because um, purely because of the, like, the education system and how it's just almost not yeah it's almost blacklisted to specific kind of things like the Tudors and um World War II like it's very specific and it never changes and it doesn't really alter and I find that very strange and I feel like every single child within the UK and every single child across the world should have the opportunity to kind of have a, a some level of influence over what they are going to learn yeah it's, it's um really interesting that you say that Sephora I, I almost think I'm not a historian and I expect I will be upsetting some historians but I always think that when you do the Tudors, um, it's sort of like a safe area somehow of history to look at, although it's not because obviously there was a lot of exploration and that's probably of the root of a lot of stuff. But we look at the, the, the nice side of it and we look at Henry VIII and his six wives and, you know, what, how, what the Tudors ate and how they danced or whatever. It's, it's all very safe. Uh, exploration of history rather than well, what was actually really going on at that time and what were people doing and um, what did that lead to and I think I mean it's great just listening to both of you about you know decolonization it really is about that it's really breaking everything apart it's a very difficult and it is a very difficult conversation that needs to be had which has to be structured quite carefully but um, 
it is important. It's, it's kind of peeling back those layers of what we're used to, to actually trying to understand, well, but what does it mean to us individually from where we come from? I mean, when I think about Bristol, for example, and its identity as a city um, and its history, I mean, it is really steeped in quite dark history. Um, and that's, uh, as, as, a Bristol, uh, as someone, I don't, I don't live in Bristol, but I know people in Bristol who would love that story to actually just be honest and be truthful about it and not ignored. And um, it is those kinds of conversations like, well, it's, it's about being honest and it's about um, embracing what has happened in places and how that's impacted on people, no matter where it is in the world. But obviously that's massive. Um, but we have to start having those conversations as to how you peel back that, that veneer that we have at the moment to get down to the nitty gritty of, of decolonizing the thinking that we have at the moment and getting to the root of what it means to be human and how we are connected. Sorry, I'm gonna stop. <laughs> Oh, love it. And it's so necessary. Um, and even that got me thinking about like just me as like a previous historian, I don't do history anymore, taken on politics and that type of route. Um, but just even like previously studying history and kind of the textbooks in the past, like everyone mentions this. Why were certain issues that happened in like the 1960 in black and white? Like why are we um during the civil rights and Martin Luther King's activism, why are we kind of shying away? Even the way the textbooks are sh- like formed and shaped. Why are they kind of making it seem like it happened a thousand years ago and the ancient history when what happened in those textbooks and what we see in the past happens in our present day? For example, even with um, kind of just touching on racial issues and what's kind of been, I think, what's in the current media right now, um, what happened to Stephen Lawrence back in the nineteen late 1980s and um, him being like racially attacked and um, kind of undergoing a violent murder um, has now kind of, transcended to today and on the 1st of June I think it was Dia uh John Dia Reed John I'm not too sure what his name is but I need to remember his name exactly but had undergone the same the same thing had happened to him and this is kind of what we read about in the so he was basically racially attacked and abused um by four grown men in the ages of 30 they were all 30 years old and I think a 14 year old and a 13 year old had kind of racially killed um racially abused him and murdered him so his life had gone and that incident we seem to think that things like that used to just happen in the past and it was just back in the day this is happening right now so what can we do to change that like why why do we act like it's just things that have happened uh ancient history when it's actually within our present day I solely like I wholeheartedly agree with that because people just pretend as if it's uh, the past. I do history for GCSEs. I'm a year 10 student, by the way. Like, you hear all these stories about these great heroes who overcame these obstacles, but then what are those obstacles? Are they still going on? Why did they not mention it? Why did they not choose to think about tackling it? It's It's just a piece of information in a textbook. That's literally how it's presented to our students. And it's so, it's like they're degrading the value of the mental trauma I could have had on the people. And it's really revolting, honestly. Mm, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, were you going to say something, Kath? With 
with all of this, it's it's extraordinary to hear your your voices and to be recognizing that trauma that is still still so it's happening now. There's no ancient history about it, as you say. Um, I feel incredibly privileged um, to be here and talking to you, and also to be able. I was just thinking, my son, I've just breastfed on a live stream, and um, I feel like for a woman, as a woman, that feels incredibly liberating and thank you for the safe place in order to do that um but the yeah baby steps <laughs> we're getting there well I'm really aware of the time as well and I just wanted to say um I wanted to say if you could dream if you could dream if you walk through a door in 2030 guys and school had had really shifted like the walls had been broken down maybe they got the bulldozers in something had else was there what would that look like I would really love to know if you've got any great insights into your dreaming visioning brain as to what that could be that would be amazing I feel like we should hear for the young ones but I'm, I'm gonna make a start <laughs> Go on, then, Natalie. Okay. Um, I think I, I came across. Um, there's a school in Paris. Um, uh, so I think it's called Forty Two, um, and it is for older young people. Um, and it's like a, a hub, and it's tech. It's it's part of the new Silicon Valley, but in Paris. Um, uh, and basically. They could, people, all the all the young people that go there can choose their route as to what they can take um, to develop themselves as people in the careers and their interests in the in the tech way. There's a school in London, School Twenty One, which is taking that to almost the next level, and I think it starts taking kids from thirteen, age of thirteen, and they. Um, that is more self-directed. They get involved in projects that they are interested in. And, and I kind of imagine that maybe school isn't a thing, but actually you have hubs in communities which um, young people can tap into depending on what their interests are in. Um, and they can be in a class of um, with 60-year-olds in it. Um, uh, and but they're all there because they're all interested in the same sort of subject, whether it's to do with the environment, whatever. Um, but I, I imagine that there's, for me, um, and I, who am I to say, because I'm not young, but I just, I just feel like the school as a place needs to change. The physical idea of school has to change. Um, and there should be, it should be more hubby, more hivey. Um, and there's, uh, there's much more freedom of thinking, of movement, of where you go, like almost like a library, but you've just got lots of libraries and you dip into them how you want to. And even online, where you want to find information about what it is that's driving you and giving you purpose in your own life. Thanks, Thank Matthew. you. I'm just going to pause this for one second. I've realised that I've been live streaming this to my own page <laughs> rather uh -huh. than uh, to the Facebook group. So um, people, it's now it's now streaming to the Facebook group. If anyone's watching, <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> you catch the end of it, but I'll post the whole thing later on. 
Um, this has been a real, like, I'm learning so much from this conversation. And, and this, I think that we really need to do a lot of listening in the first place. Like I said at the start, just to hear people's different experiences and, and to, to see like, what sort of an education system would you, would you like to see? Um, and I would, like, you, you sort of answered one of the main questions that I had, which is like, I suppose that a, a, like a devil's advocate position against, you know, seeing education as this like social justice, like anti-racist decolonizing project. You, you, you could say that like it's that it's not the place of, of schools to politicize young people or to or to see schools as instruments of, of, of social justice or of like social engineering that these are, you know, places of, of learning and that we sort of teach you, you know, about the world and that takes the form usually of subject-based learning. Um, and you could, you know, I think that people would probably argue that case, um, but I think that you've already sort of answered it when you were saying, Yumna, that if we provided even a small amount of space for self-directed learning within the curriculum, that young people would have the space to be supporting one another and to be learning about what it is that they see as important. Um, and also, you know, there are things like citizenship education, which was a thing a while ago. They brought it in and like so many political fads, and it's a good example of a reform, Yumna, that doesn't actually lead to any meaningful change. The, the bringing in citizen um, education was a, was a thing and it was brilliant when it while it lasted, teaching young people about different, you know, voting systems and about you know democratic representation and engagement and you know that stuff is just so basic. Like, why is that not mandatory? But for whatever reason, I don't remember exactly how citizenship education was just like quietly dropped and just swept away and just sort of forgotten about. Um, and you know, there's a tiny amount of, of government and politics stuff that we do in PSHE. But that's often not even taught as a subject in schools. Sometimes they do it through drop down days. And then again, it's just another way to sort of sideline that stuff. And so you can see how, you know, I don't think that we, you, you, need to, you need to reframe school as this like instrument of social engineering. You could just say like, we could actually just create a little bit of space, teach young people about, about politics and education and educate them about, about these ideas. And also provide a little bit of space in the curriculum for them to follow their own interests um, and to, to share those interests and to communicate with one another. I, I, sorry, I just jump in. I just, I want to say that there's, a, there's an argument and it's quite persuasive online that if you give young people space to choose what they want to learn, they will just choose to play Minecraft all day <laughs> or choose to watch kittens on YouTube. And I think that we've had, a couple of these conversations now with youngsters and what you are talking about wanting to learn that you would choose to spend your own time on if given that time is so enlightening. You would choose to better yourselves. You would choose to become broader in your thinking and more independent and able to meet your own needs. And all of the things that we want young people to be when they're 18, able to meet their own needs, able to, able to look at the world and think and engage with it critically and make their own choices. And you're saying that you're not getting that from the education system. And if you were given a little bit of space, that's what you would fill it with. Mm. I just think that's such a powerful argument for giving over more time to young people and having you talk to one another 
about what you're passionate about and the differences that you want to make in the world, not waiting for the grown-ups to give you permission and a, you know, a, 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 just a, a one-week project at the end of term where you can raise some money for a charity, yeah. but to actually live and breathe every day the difference that you want to see in the world. Um, yeah, I'm really hopeful after yeah. talking this morning. <laughs> no. Oh, and I'm making a film that captures those voices, and I would love each of you to 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 put something in. Would you do that if I yeah. email you? Will you be in my film? One hundred percent. Wow. Um. Wow, that's so cool. I was gonna add um that I feel like what you said about that little bit of space, kind of that's all young people want. We just want that little bit of kind of just that little bit of space to kind of be able to say what we would like to say. Um, and I also think just back to like, um, in general, how a lot of people are like, oh, we can't turn this, this kind of the devil's advocate argument that, you know, we can't turn school into a social justice warrior, kind of politically correct kind of institution where everyone's kind of speaking on kind of their opinion. But I completely disagree with that because if you're young enough, within um, the education system to experience kind of um, young people as well. Young people are ignorant to certain things, but to experience kind of racist abuse, to be from that kind of place of your experiencing, you're on the experiencing end. If you're young enough to experience it, then I think you're young enough to learn about it. If you're kind of on the opposite end and you're kind of experiencing these things and you're having to learn, let's say you are from Palestine and you're kind of from that background and you're now kind of having to kind of, take that on just at home and it just to be like a it's kept at the home and it can't go elsewhere I think that's kind of crazy to me I feel like yeah if you're young and you're experiencing it we should also be young and learning about it that's my argument yeah yeah thank you thank you um so yeah like I've got an eye on the time as well it's one o'clock I, I feel like we, we need longer because <laughs> I feel like we're literally just getting started I have so many questions that I would like to 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 pursue I suppose, I think one thing I, I, I would really like to maybe maybe let's end on like a practical note so mm -hmm. if there are any teachers or school leaders who are watching this um who are thinking okay yeah I can see that we need to start doing things quite radically differently this is not a tinkering at the edges thing this is like a radical rethink of of what this is this whole thing is all about and making sure that young people are are seeing themselves and seeing the, the their own interests reflected in what they're learning about what what could you recommend or what what sort of steps would you would you um say that that teachers or school leaders can make or or what sorts of things have you seen happening out there in the world that you think actually this is that that's moving in the right direction now um so I don't mind who goes first with that. Shall I, shall I come to you first, Yumna? Have you got an answer to that one? Yeah, I think I feel like teachers should just start by educating themselves. I feel like that's, that's where everything starts. When you educate yourself, you read more books, when you're trying to think about ways that you can implement it in your own classroom, I feel like that's where, you know, change can really happen. Um, and you can influence your students by that. If you, even if you're a maths teacher, you know, you know, implement, you know, a bit of financial education in your classroom you know if you're a science teacher think about the ways in which you know scientists all this time um we've been having a eurocentric vision of science when some of this you know things that have been discovered were discovered by black scientists ages ago but they were reinstated by you know white scientists teach your students about those sort of things um, and just create a safe space where students can actually come to you and talk to you and have those positive 
discussions with you. Um, and even though they may be difficult at first, um, if you're open and, you know, as young people, we're open. I'm open to speaking to anybody at any time. You know, if you know, if you want to create that safe space for students, go for it, do it. And you'll find that a lot of young people would come to you and, you know, engage in those conversations with you. Yeah, I would also just say um, stop seeing kind of decolonizing the curriculum as such a radical thing and stop seeing these changes as so indifferent and so far away to us now because, you know, like we said before previously, Margaret Thatcher was able to kind of reform and make changes. So why can't amongst young people kind of, I know it's a bit, it seems a bit strange and it's, um, never been done before but I feel like young people want that voice want that platform that kind of specific I don't know what it would mean whether it should mean like young people kind of getting together and kind of making that connection with people in power I think that's quite important to me because I know that as young persons sometimes we do feel powerless young people do feel like they can't make any changes they they say stuff they can only go to the school council and it kind of just stops there like really and truly it doesn't really make that wide scale changes so in terms of that grand kind of wide scale changes I think um making that connection with and by people in power just using people in power I mean specific people um kind of um people that kind of are specifically have that role within the edu- like within education people that are making decisions based on education having connections with them and then making the changes from there yeah thank you Zoya, have you got any thoughts on this final question about like practical things that, that teachers and schools can do? I'd like it if our school gave us that, the, um, the sort of understanding, because how should I put this? Uh, so I've had this interest built in me since years, but I've had no information given about it. I've had no sort of what do you say a a road a guidance a guidance for me to work on my interests so I feel like what the school could do is rather than just saying focus on your work work hard get good grades I'd rather our school gave us that that slight support that's not just school so because like I'm interested in politics so I'd rather that the school gave me some advice maybe some not counseling but you know the link Uh, yeah the connection the school should be providing each of us with that connection rather than just like you know dismissing our thinking so suddenly yeah i i I don't i haven't phrased it right i get but it's just because I feel as though that although I'm being encouraged a lot, I'm not being given that right support a lot. Mm. So that I don't know where to go. I'm still like oblivious as to what decisions I need to make and why I think why I think should be good for my future. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Zoya. No, you phrased it perfectly. And so is this something that you talk about with your friends at school that you sort of that you wish that there was a space for you to sort of explore these ideas, but that yeah. that's just not really I wrote multiple letters on it, to be fair, and even I discussed it with youth councils, many councils, but again, it's not something that can be implemented so quickly. Right. And so what is it specifically that you would like to see? Because, okay, for me, this is my personal experience, so I'm not really speaking on behalf of anyone, but 
like I mentioned before, I'm interested in politics, but how am I supposed to get into politics? Because you can't just tell me that I need to have good grades. Like, sure, you do need to have good grades. Will that really guarantee your future, your voice? Is it really guaranteeing anything? So, what I yeah. want is sort of like, because I'm in year 10 and I have no clue what to do. Like, yes, there's university, yes, there's college and everything. So, what are the steps I need to take to have a good future? What are the steps I need to take to make my own future, to create a better society? I see. So it sounds like you're sort of describing a sense of, of detachment, like you feel like, like you, the, school, the school experience that you're having is detached from the future that you want to be a part of and you yes, can't really because, see how this leads to that. Is that correct? Yes, because I feel like that you cannot tell me that from English literature and English language that I'm going to suddenly become a world like high class public speaker now, can I? This is something that we've noticed over the years, James and I, there's a, a particular style of education where children get, they get to play at running the country. So from a young age, they are practicing and playing at running the country. They learn how to use the words, they learn how to use the mannerisms, they practice over and over again. If I ruled the world, how would I do it? How would I win the argument? And that's how children learn. They learn through playing again and again and again and trying different things and honing their skills and the language that they use until it becomes embodied, until they feel like they can run the world. And only a certain amount of young children in our in the UK get to do that in any kind of formalized way. Yeah. Some children grow up and they're fortunate enough to have a family and they sit around the dinner table and their parents do that for them. And they genuinely ask them what their opinion is and they play that game. But there's no space for that in schools. Mm-hmm. So when you get to 16, when you get to Zoya's age and you, you want to do that, you have a voice, you want to you want to try and affect change. You want to try and make a difference. There's nowhere to go and play. There's mm-hmm. nowhere to practice doing that. Where do you ever, where do you get the opportunity to make a difference? Um, and that needs to, I think that we need to open up a space for that right from the beginning. If we want the world, if we want the world to change, who do we think is going to change it? Some invisible person in the, in the stratosphere. It's not, it's us. We are the people who change our own lives. But if we don't get to practice making things be different, how do we develop the skills and the network of people to make those changes with? Our mighty, we've all met each other. We're in our 40s. We've finally met a group of other people who want to make the same kind of changes. And now we're moving like a train in a direction. But it's taken us all this time to find it. Now with the modern technology, is making it easier for, for youngsters your age to connect. You've got pupil power now, but you still need forums to go and play at making a change. Mm. And that needs to be structural. Local councils need to make space for young people to start trying to make a difference, to start trying to fix issues in their towns. Schools need to have school councils that are genuine. What can you genuinely get hold of and be allowed to try and fix? as a team of young people so that you develop those skills. That 
takes work away from us, the adults. If the youngsters are in charge of the school menu, if you are in charge of how the morning routine works, whatever it is, what part of your school day, if you can begin to take control of it and make decisions so that it, it meets your needs, that's less for us to do as institutions. So it makes perfect sense to me, at least, to begin that process. I, that's what I would like to see more of. I would like to see more of the power given over to the young people to make the decisions that impact on them. Sorry, I that 100% a... that. That is literally... I am a member of school council, and if I'm being completely honest with you, I have done zero work. It's literally... It's all in the name. It's just... Mm -hmm. It's just a title you've got, like, in your school. Yeah. Within school, there's nothing for me to do within school. I'm not being given any roles or duties to fulfill so I'm just here lounging around and trying to create my own opportunities to other organizations which um and clearly due to the COVID I can't do much either mm. so it's yeah. quite it's ridiculous honestly and I think we need to have that that play like you were talking about I think our school should definitely implement that but Will they really trust us? And and it's maybe out of place to say, but there's, it's really, even the school structures are quite discriminatory because it, you're only going to be able to be part of that play if you're a good student, most likely. If there's, a, you know, there's a group of students that the school can vouch for, you know, they can bet on them. Mm -hmm. But what about the other students? They may be just as passionate, but just because they're lacking, they're not, Okay, that sounds rude when I say when I say lacking, but I'm I'm sure you understand. Yeah, yeah, of course. But like, if they're lacking, they won't get the opportunities. Is that? But that's not fair on them because they've got the motivation, which can sometimes be even more powerful than the talent one holds. Mm -hmm. yeah. So you're literally just undermining a person, and rather you're just betting on that free students out of the hundreds so. absolutely you don't see many like boys who are on the brink of exclusion on school councils <laughs> and yeah. it's, it's their voices that you know you, we need to be listening to the most you could argue not some like high achieving so, person who's just like you know going to add it to their cv if you're the parent of a young man who's on the brink of exclusion or has got a lot to say but nowhere to say it um, you could send them our way. We would like to hear from them. Mm. Yeah. I mean, to go back to what Kate was talking about earlier, you know, like, so at Eton, at Eton College, um, which, as you know, you know, is where so many of our, like, politicians come from. Boris Johnson was there, David Cameron, Osborne, like, just loads and loads of them. And at, at Eton, they do take this stuff really seriously. They recently built a debating chamber it cost them 18 million pounds. Like you could build a whole school for that. And they spent wow. that much just on a debating chamber. It's called Jafar Hall. And, and it looks like the Houses of Parliament. It's sort of got like rows and rows of wooden benches facing each other. And wow. they, like, like Kate says, you know, they're role playing for when they get to run the country. Um, and that's a good thing in a way, you know, like it's a good, it's a good idea that we, you know, one should, one should practice these things. Um, but that game should be being played in every school on the planet, shouldn't yeah. it? Because we're only drawing from a very small pool of people and therefore a very small pool of talent. 
And, you know, you don't have to look at at our current crop of politicians to see that we could do with, you know, accessing a wider talent pool, (laughs) because there are some hopelessly inadequate people running things at the moment, because they're well connected and they went to these schools and, you know, those schools open doors and so on. Um, and so we do need to be playing this game in every school on the planet. But one thing, like, that's a hard thing to achieve, right? Because, you know, you, you therefore have to persuade all these teachers and head teachers to, to carve out physical space, time in the curriculum to make this work, to skill up their teachers in how to run debates and so on. And that's all really hard to do. But what's amazing that's sort of happening at the moment, and pupil power is a really good example of this, is that you don't need all that stuff in order for people to come together and rehearse those skills and to practice, you know, public speaking, as you're all doing so brilliantly in this call today. And one thing that I'm really interested in doing with, with Rethinking Education, not that I, you know, have got any time <laughs> to, to do, to, to explore another thing, but um, I really want to do something that's even wider than these campfire conversations maybe it's some sort of online conference series of online conferences where we're bringing together lots and lots and lots of people's voices young people who are on the brink of exclusion very young kids so like you know we had nine-year-old locks on the call last week and he was so articulate and confident um and you know like often people just like they they think of you know we we maybe need to talk to some year some bright year 11s right (laughs) but you know Mm -hmm. we can be involving young people right the way throughout the age range um and listening to them and involving them in decision making and i'm really interested to pursue this and to sort of to see if we can get some sort of a wider movement happening outside of the school system because you know five years ago this would have been not possible would it like the 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 internet connection wasn't stable enough to be able to have a conversation like this let alone across the Atlantic Ocean and now and here we are you know and and we've got the technology at our fingertips and we can come together and organize and you know share one another's stories and voices and and all I want to do really is to, to do that, to, to create that space where that happens and then just see what emerges from these conversations. And the, the best ideas will sort of will rise to the top and then we'll have some idea about how we can do things differently. Anyway, I think we should probably stop stop talking at some point soon. Um, so um, thank you very much. Let, let's have a little round robin and we'll just like see if anyone's got any final words to say uh, before we wrap this up. Um, let's start with Sephora. Um, yeah, this was honestly amazing to just be a part of. I think everything that we discussed is so important to me, like personally as well. Um, just purely being someone that's been through the education system and that's seen so much wrong with it, but also that there's been a lot of good things that we can't um, forget. Um, yeah, also just quickly, just to touch on um, briefly what I think Zoya mentioned as she was ending and rounding up the conversation was that idea that, you know, this... Um, even within student council within itself, they pick the brightest students and the best students and the most polished students. I think real education and real kind of, I think we need to hear real stories and we need to hear real personal stories in order to understand kind of um, what we need to do and what steps we need to take. I think conversations like this are so important. And when you hear um, things that students themselves have been through, like it's just so great to hear and so important that we can express that and have a platform to articulate that. Because a lot of people, they go through stuff and because they don't have the, because they're deemed as, you know, they're, they're, mis- they're troublesome or they misbehave, they don't kind of, uh, they're not able to equip the right words and they're not able to articulate how they feel and express that. And to e- to even hear that Kate has like a, um, 
a platform or a, a place where students that are on the brink of exclusion can come and kind of combine, like combining her and um, hopefully there's other steps that you can take. That's amazing to hear because even kind of seeing me personally as well, just kind of quickly, briefly touching on this was um, just seeing students around me that have like been excluded and sometimes they don't really deserve it. Um, but yeah, just having places and communities like this is overall just so amazing it's been amazing speaking to you guys and just getting to know about and hearing about all the amazing things that you guys are doing so privileged and I feel so blessed to be here guys so thank you for just allowing me to be here absolute pleasure thank you so much for joining us so last last words uh Natalie uh yeah last words yeah just great um a great privilege wonderful to hear young people speaking so brilliantly and eloquently um about their experiences and about their visions. Um, so yeah, thank you. Thank you, Kate. I just want to say that it feels very hopeful that if we give more space for more young people to use their voices, we will learn and things will change. Mm. So let's hope more of that happens. It definitely seems like the vehicle for change, doesn't it? You know, it's not rocket science. <laughs> Bring people together, see what they have to say. Thank you. Uh, Zoya. It's been an honour <laughs> to be here. Each of your voices was absolutely amazing. And um, to be honest, these are all the issues that we face every day, but they're never addressed to. So the fact that there is a platform where we can address such things and I can be a part of it, it's a true honour and I'm grateful for everyone to be able to hear my voice. Thank you. Thank you. That's great. Uh, Kath? Oh, there's so much. There's so much richness in everything you guys said. Um, Sephora, I loved the, um, you know, really learning about the things you're experiencing as you're a young person growing up. I think that's absolutely critical. And uh, and then um, Yemnas, like making space making that space and trusting young people as well it's again another great takeaway from this conversation and then Zoya the roadmap for following your interests um I think is also crucial so thank you so much all of you I mean there's so much more in there as well but it's been a privilege to be here thank you lovely thank you and Yumna thank you so much I really enjoyed this call I'm really blessed to, you know, share my own experiences and talk to other young people, other adults who share, who are, you know, sharing their own. Um, I want to give a quick shout out to this book. It's called From What Is to What If by Rob Hopkins. And a lot of what I've, um, yeah, a lot of what I've heard about the education system, I've learned in that. There's a chapter in the book and um, I told Natalie about it. And it's about, I think it's called What If um, School Nurtured Young Imaginations. It's a really amazing chapter. I would really recommend you read it. Um, and it's given me so much more insight into the education system and if we you know envision how our future education system could look like that would be it um, for me um, also I'm launching um, a youth-led organization soon called Resilience um, which is dedicated to the personal and professional development of young people um, so that we can organize and grow our collective resilience to you know solve societal global issues um, and so if anyone you know wants to talk to me more about that or anything um, I'd be more than um, up for it. But thank you so much for inviting me um, on this call. It's a pleasure. Mm, thank you so much. Well, send us, send us links and we will spread them as far and wide as we possibly can. 
Um, it has been an absolute joy to, to spend some time with you. I do hope that you will join us again in the future. And thank you for, for recommending that book. I listened, literally listened to it uh, like in the last two weeks on Audible. And as soon as I finished, I went back and listened to that chapter again that you mentioned, um, which is uh, absolutely awesome. So thank you for that. All right. Thank you, everyone. We will, uh, we will continue this conversation. This is just the beginning.